And welcome back to the most bizarre show on the internet. I am Shane, the hippie Bigfoot, along with the one, the only, the co-host with the absolute most, the weaver of dreams, nightmares for some, Sergos. Welcome to the show, man. (laughs) Weavers of dreams, nightmares for some. I like that. There you go. I I I was trying to do something a little bit fancy today because this time you're Sergos. You've been knighted, so I have to amp you up like your royalty, man. (laughs) Technically, I I am. Well, there you go. Perfect, Sir Ghost. Found that, yeah, I found found that out over uh, uh, Christmas break, actually. Which uh, which throne are you supposed to be the ruler of? Because I know that there's like six uh, possible ones for the for uh, you know England. <laughs> not English at all. Uh, direct descendant of uh, Queen Anne's of Scots, and Robert the Bruce was uh, my uncle down the line. Oh, there you go. You just need to get a little piece of property, and then you'll officially be a lord, and then you can be Lord Sir Ghost. Well, according to my brother, our aunt went over there before she passed away years ago. Uh, We have an operating castle in Scotland still, to this day. Sir Lord Ghost. Yeah. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) All shall bow and kiss the ring. (laughs) Yeah, kiss it. All right. Well, let's get into this. Uh, enough about me and my dumb royalty. Uh, if you guys like this show, like always, go over to Apple iTunes, leave a five star rating and review, and uh, make sure you get that five star in there. I don't care if it's a bad review or a good review or a mediocre review. Just leave a review. If re- leaving reviews isn't your thing, just hit it over onto Spotify and hit the five star and walk away. Uh, simple as that. Um, also, uh, you can find us on social media. We have a telegram chat. Uh, we're also on Instagram. Uh, you can DM us there. If you have any, uh, you know, questions for the show topics you want us to look into, you know, this and that and what have you. And don't forget to check out my Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash my third eye podcast for the early access to, uh, bizarre encounters weekly episode. I post that on my my end, I do put it on the $5 tier. So, uh, you know, $5 gets you more bang for the buck anyway. And uh, I know, Shane, you put it on on Open Minds Media and uh, your Patreon as well, correct? Yes, sir. So anybody that wants to come and check it out from either of us, you get early access to the show after we're done editing it. And you also get live access if you want the show even earlier than that. So definitely worth checking out. 
A uh, little side note too, we also now have a Discord server set up. I set it up as an Open Minds Media Discord server, but there's a Bizarre Encounters channel in there. So if anybody's more active on Discord than Telegram, uh, we're looking out for you guys. So we do have that set up now too. And um, you know, while you're at while you're checking all of that awesome, awesome stuff out, you can always uh, donate to the show to help us keep the lights on around the studio, upgrade equipment, get some more awesome stuff, and uh, hopefully eventually both of us be able to do this full time and just produce some fantastic content for you guys. Um, you can also support the show by uh, buying some of our awesome merch. We have the Open Minds Media merch store. Uh, there you'll find you know, kind of the wheelhouse of everything that we do. Um, but that's where the Bizarre Encounters merch is. We got the uh, the basic stuff right now where it's just kind of the, the main logo. Um, pretty cool, though. We got one where it's on the front. We got one where it's like the little patch, you know, up by, uh, by your chest. And on the back, it has the big design. I'm a big fan of those kinds of shirts. So that is also a very viable option and uh with that why don't you tell them a little bit about our uh, other awesome design that we got going over there ghost yeah head on over to uh cryptotheology.com and uh pick up a t-shirt uh of your liking uh we have ours over there the bizarre uh yeah bizarre combat the one that he collabed with us for our giveaway back in november and i bought one and got one for uh a friend for christmas as well i like it he did me as kano he did shane as uh uh, scorpion Toasty. Uh, i loved it and uh it, it's an awesome wearing shirt uh it's comfortable and it, it fit perfect you know i'm a bigger guy i ordered a 3x and it fit just right and i can't tell you i don't know where he gets his shirts but i know he's out of pennsylvania so it is a mom and pop type company so you're sp- supporting local business as well and uh not just our merch uh that he collaborated with us he has tons of shirts over there from different states to different themes to you name it he's got it and he's got some new ones in, in the works as well so again cryptotheology.com you can find all of that stuff through our link tree um, put it all under one one place so it's quick and easy to find either uh, you can go down to the bottom of the page and it'll be down there or you can go and check out uh, l-i-n-k-t-r period e-e slash bizarre encounters and that's spelled b-i-z-a-r-r-e like I mentioned, almost every show, there's multiple ways to spell bizarre, but we use it in the terms of something that's a weird phenomenon that sparks interest. So, B-I-Z-A-R-R-E. And with that, let's get into the show. Uh, tonight, we have uh, Jerry Polly from Hillbilly Horror Stories joining us for a nice casual conversation about some paranormal experiences that, that he's encountered and, you know, stuff that he covers on his show. So, having said that, Jerry, how are you? And thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks, uh, Shane and Ghost, for having me on. Uh, I was told this was going to be an intense conversation, not uh, casual and laid back. So I'm a little disappointed, but uh, I'll go with the flow. Oh, I can, can do that. We can get in, we can get intense. <laughs> we can go wherever you want. <laughs> Start bombarding him with a hard, hard to answer questions. <laughs> Give you a bunch of loaded questions so that we have six parts into it and just makes it super confusing. We got you. We'll get you covered. <laughs> so where were you really on the day JFK died? <laughs> <laughs> but I guess to kind of start it off and get, get everything rolling, uh, why don't you kind of give them an idea about uh, what your show is exactly, what you do, and uh, exactly how you started your show. All right. Well, that'll take care of the first hour and a half, and then we'll have a half hour or so to kill after that. But <laughs> no, we've, uh, I started Hillbilly Horror Stories in uh august it'll be seven years so it's been uh, a a while back but actually i I had the concept i was a stand-up comedian for 15 years 
And uh, I got tired of being a comedian, got tired of uh, every aspect of it, except for being on stage. Uh, I always tell people, anybody who says they get into the entertainment business for anything more than ego are just flat out lying to you because there's something about being on stage, whether you're a comedian or musician or whatever the deal is and getting that feedback from a live audience. And uh, I kept getting out of the business. And within two months, I was missing that part of it and right back in. And then uh, finally, I, I was listening to some podcasts and it was fairly new to me as far as the different genres and what was out there. And I thought, you know what? I think I could do this. And uh, I had listened to Lore with Aaron Mankey. That was the first one I really got hooked on. But I didn't have that kind of voice or that kind of story uh, writing ability to be able to do that. So that was out of the question. But then I heard uh, Real Ghost Stories Online with Tony and Jenny Bruski. And they were a husband and wife team back then. Tony does it pretty much by itself these days. But they were a husband and wife team. And it's like, it's like they would uh, laugh and cut up. And I was like, you know what? That's more up my alley. I think I could do that. So initially, my wife was like, hey, you know, I want to jump in there. I want to I want to be this. But you got to know my wife is not really that much into the paranormal at the time. She doesn't like scary movies. You know, I'm watching all these things on television, you know, in search of and sightings and ghost hunters, and she's not interested in any of it. So it wouldn't a real obvious choice to bring her along for the podcast, you know? And, um, but I had a guy that I worked with named Ricky that we used to talk about the paranormal all the time. And uh, I started thinking, I thought, you know what? I bet if people could hear some of our conversations, they would enjoy it. I think it would be entertaining. So I talked to Ricky. I said, let's do this. He was on board. Uh, we The first eight episodes were about 20 minutes long because I didn't think anybody would want to listen to us any longer than 20 minutes. You know, everybody today's got a short attention span, and that's kind of what I thought. And uh, so we started doing it, and people started saying, hey, I wish you'd do a little bit longer. Now, our first episodes, which are not available, by the way, you can <laughs> catch them on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, but they're off of the main feed because our first eight episodes were literally um, very adult in humor. And, uh, you know, that's not for everybody, but that's what I wanted. That was my intention. And I remember Diane student from history goes bump told me that she said it was like listening to two guys in a bar, have a conversation. <laughs> that's what I was looking for. So perfect. Well, the show was doing okay. Uh, but Ricky had a very busy life. Ricky had five, five kids and his wife didn't drive and she had to go back and forth to work. So it was very hard for him to do what we needed to. And, and uh, he wasn't quite as committed for obvious reasons as what I am. I am 100% committed to anything I do. I don't half-ass anything. So, you know, I'm spending all this time searching. I, I'll give you a prime example of how, how far I am to this thing. We did the first week, first episode, and then I find out the Tuesday of the following week that I was going to have to have open heart surgery where most people would say, guess we're taking a break. I was like, Ricky, we got to do two episodes this week. So I got to work my ass off and get two episodes done. And then by the time that second episode comes out, that'd give me an extra week of rest. And then we won't miss an episode. And we didn't, we've never in, in almost seven years. We've never missed an episode. We've had funerals. We've had my wife has lost both of her parents. Uh, during this span and never have we missed an episode for any reason. So 
to jump back in, we did the first eight episodes. On the on the day of the ninth episode, Ricky says he's not going to be able to make it in and to come over to the house to record. Now, I was Ricky's boss at one point in time in another business, and you know, I Ricky knows how I am as a boss. I'm a no nonsense kind of guy. I don't if I've got a deadline, I you know it's a deadline. I don't care if I gave it to myself. It's a deadline, and we record on Sunday nights. And the episodes are out on Sunday night, period. So I told Ricky, unacceptable. So I tell Tracy, I said, Tracy, you're, you're going to get your chance tonight. You got to step in and do this episode. Now, up to this point, Ricky would write part of the episode and I would write the other part. And we would each talk about the part that we wrote. This particular episode, I had written all of it because it was going to be on rock and roll and the occult. So we were going to talk about Zeppelin and and uh, some the Zeppelin curse and uh, and the true meaning of the Eagle song Hotel California and all that. Well, I had written all that by myself. So when I tell Tracy, "Hey, you got to step in," she's like, "Well, I don't know the story. I don't know what you're going to do." I said, "It's it's the perfect night for it. I've already written it. All you got to do is just respond." Well, people loved it, and uh, they they liked that. It was a lot cleaner episode. It was it was an adult. It was more, you know, family friendly and people really liked the interaction of her not knowing what the story was. Well, Ricky came back for the next two episodes, but he told me flat up, you know, she needs to be the co-host. And I'm like, well, you know, she's a good, she's a good replacement for a case of emergency, but you know, you're the co-host. That's the way we started it. And like I said, he recorded uh, episode 10 and 11 and decided, you know what? She's better for the show if you just stick with her. So starting with episode 12, we uh, went with Tracy as full-time co-host. And to this day, she has never known what an episode is about until we started. So everything that she hears, she's hearing it for the first time, just like the listeners are. And that, I think, has been the secret to our success. Not just that she hasn't heard the story, but her responses. Because, you know, she's... Um, she can come across sometimes as a little bit flighty as uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe I wouldn't completely listen in. So I'm going to ask something that's going to come across to ex sound extremely crazy, but you know, th that there's a lot of listeners that, that were thinking the same thing as she was thinking when she asked these questions and, and her, uh, her unexpected responses has been a big part of the show. And I I've told her a thousand times, we wouldn't be anywhere near where we're at had it not been, been for her joining the show. And uh, she's the secret to the success, even though I didn't have any intentions on ever having her on the show in the beginning. But it just goes to show that sometimes those little uh, surprises can turn out for the best. But I mean, we've got, we're getting ready to sometime by the end of this month, hit 20 million downloads. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. But just a, the quick thing to it, uh, and I'm a talker, so cut me off anytime you need to, but um, you asked a little bit about what the show's about. If you haven't listened to the show, it's kind of all over the place because when we first started, we did one show a week, and now we literally do five or six episodes a week. And it's uh, a combination of stuff. We, but it's everything's about the paranormal, a little bit of true crime if it's got a creepy aspect to it. Uh, we talk about anything that's unexplained, like Dietlaw Pass, that you know may not have a, a an answer that's just mysterious. But for the most part, it's it's primarily paranormal, and uh, we 
I'll give you a quick example on on Wednesdays we do a show that's completely scripted with music around it. It's just me, but we call that uh, Hillbilly Dead Time Stories. It's usually about an eight to twelve minute episode, nothing too long. On Thursdays we we li- read uh, listeners' stories that get sent in to us. We call it Eerie Encounters. It's more like a uh, let's read or let's not meet type episode. It's usually only about thirteen to twenty minutes long. On Friday we do a like a greatest hits episode. So it's one of our old shows from back, you know, five, six years ago that you might not have heard. And then on Saturdays, we do something called Macabre Misfortunes. That is an anything goes show. I mean, we've talked about plane crashes. We've talked about uh, people who got lost and died in a mall. Gentlemen in Australia, they got lost in the mall and they found him dead back in their long hallways, you know, weeks later. Uh, but anything that has to do with tragedy, we, we did Pompeii, the story of Pompeii on there, but that's our one, one show of the week where it doesn't have to be paranormal, but it's always something good and interesting with a lot of history involved. And then Sundays is our main show. That's our bread and butter, the actual Hillbilly Horror Stories episode. So you get a lot throughout the week, but most of them are short episodes. You're a busy man. And. I guess Shane and I stumbled across something that we didn't realize that you kind of already mastered was uh, I'm the one on this show that usually comes into everything blind. Um, now, I am I consider myself well-versed in most of the topics that we come across, but I don't ne- hardly ever know what the guest is, who it, who they are, what, you know, what they do, because I like to come into it from a completely brand new experience. And, you know, Shane's the the super organized person out of the two of us with the podcast, much like yourself. And, uh, I would, would actually like to have you on my show to talk about that, uh, rock and roll in the occult someday, if you're ever down, because that's right up my alley. Oh no. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a music freak. And, and, you know, at one point in time, uh, I, I, I wanted to do a separate podcast called musical misfortunes. And I did one episode. I, I just released it on the hillbilly feed because it's obvious I wouldn't get around to doing a second or third anytime soon, but it was on b- the band Badfinger, and it's just a tragic story. And I really liked the way it turned out. It was about a, I guess about a 13 or 15 minute synopsis of the, of the band. And, you know, I think three of the members of the band ended up committing suicide at one point. And, uh, and, and they were a great band that a lot of people have never heard of. You know, the Beatles actually, uh, Paul McCartney and the Beatles actually kind of helped them get started. Paul McCartney actually wrote their first hit uh, that was a song of his, and he decided to give to them. And like I said, there's so many people who just have no clue who they are, and uh, they got ripped off by their manager, and uh, he was taking them for every penny they had. And then when the lawsuit ensued, in, in, uh, they couldn't tour or anything, so they had no way of making money. So for like three or four years, their album that they were getting ready to put out, nobody would touch. Nobody would bring them on tour because they were uh, in a contract with this guy, and it just it just ruined everything for them. And it was all because of management that were just screwing them out of their money. And uh, but yeah, there's there's several stories like that out there, and and I thought it'd be cool to do that. And instead, what I've done is I've covered uh, a couple of artists that's had some really um, uh, bad stuff happen in our background on that mute that. Uh, uh, macabre misfortunes that we do on Saturdays where I said, anything goes like last weekend, we covered Jeff Buckley and his untimely death. And then, uh, 
a couple months ago, we did Sam Cook and his uh, mysterious shooting and everything behind that. So I've had a chance to be able to sneak a couple that would have ended up being episodes on there into this one. But that's kind of a scripted out episode with some music and stuff in the background where, where, where our Saturday episodes here are more conversational like this. So we just uh, treated it like we do our Sunday episodes. I was going to say, I like how much you incorporate into everything that you do. Cause I mean, I listen to your guys show of course, and I appreciate the fact that you guys drop something almost every single day. So it's always a well-versed thing to listen to. And uh, especially when you guys get into the other stuff, um, not just the paranormal, um, it's always cool to have like a different perspective on things. And it's always interesting to hear about like you were talking about like bands for example coming from a more conspiratorial minded person you know rather than it just being like a standard person covering the story and i'm sure you could probably expand on that too and probably find enough paranormal encounters that has to do with bands too and you could even make part of that just uh you know people who have been in bands weird paranormal encounters too (laughs) that might be pretty cool well we've actually covered uh we've done i think we had three episodes that were uh, rock and roll in the occult is what we called them. And they were three episodes within the first 23 episodes. So that was something we did a lot of. And then uh, we found out it was kind of odd. Those are the stories that I love doing the most. And there are most beloved episodes. Some There's always somebody writing us saying, I love the music episodes. But as much as that, we had just as many people that hated them. So I decided you know, even though the, the people who really liked it, really liked it, the people who didn't like it really hated it. And uh, so I started mixing in stories within regular episodes. So like we did Elvis and some of this stuff, you know, there were there were people in Elvis's band that swear that they thought he was literally like some type of a god that he had the power to do things. And uh, we actually covered that, but we also had other stuff in the episode so the people could listen and be like, oh, I don't like this part, but I like the, the other stories they told. So that was my way of getting around it is I would mix in a music story with two or three other stories that weren't so much music and uh, I could still do those stories. But yeah, the Elvis story was, was pretty cool. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne, we talked about him at one point uh, that when they were recording black Sabbath was actually recording an album and they were staying at a place and there was all kinds of weird stuff going on uh, where they were staying, where they, they, they felt like that the place was haunted and uh, they were literally scared to death. And, you know, Ozzy made a comment about everybody talks about how they're satanic and devil worshipers and all that stuff. And he's basically talked about he was scared to death of that kind of stuff. So <laughs> that definitely wouldn't going to be the case. But, uh, you know, the, of course, you talk about uh, as far as uh, Jimmy Page, you know, he owned Boleskine House uh, at one point in time, which was Aleister Crowley's house where he supposedly did you know, some incantations to try to raise a demon and he didn't finish it. And supposedly things are trapped in that house. And, uh, he owned that. And at the time, Kenneth Anglin, who was a, uh, self, you know, described devil worshiper, Satan worshiper. And he had, was putting these movies together and he was putting one out that was about Satan. And, uh, he stayed in that house for a while and, uh, he was so spooked by stuff. He saw, he moved out. And this is a guy that was you know, hundred percent into sacrificing and all this stuff. And Jimmy page was actually supposed to do the, uh, I think the name of the movie is called Satan rising. And Jimmy page was supposed to do the soundtrack for it. And he didn't. And then it went to Mick Jagger and Mick Jagger actually did the soundtrack for it. Uh, this was back in the, uh, I want to say the early to mid seventies. 
So yeah, there's there's all kinds of musical tie-ins when it comes. Everybody knows about Robert Johnson and the Crossroads, but mm-hmm. there's a a, bun- a bunch of different stuff to get into. Say that one in particular is extremely fascinating because the dude originally, from all the stories that I heard, could barely play, disappeared for a while, came back, and could do things that even listening to the music now, the recording itself, couldn't pick up all of the little intricate, crazy things that he was doing. And then at the end, he was talking about like the hellhounds and everything, and just poof. I don't know. Just if there's anybody in music history that I feel is 100% sold their soul. I feel like it's definitely him because everybody else, you know, they're probably trying to do it partly as like an image, but he was before that image was even a thing. That was what he made it even weirder about it, but phenomenal artist. <laughs> yeah. And he, you know, he would, uh, he disappeared for six weeks is all it was that he was gone. But the, the blues artists where he would play at the little, at the little dive bars, uh, you know, they were all like, he was absolutely horrible absolutely horrible and six weeks later he was doing things that they couldn't couldn't even figure out how he was doing and most of the time for his his biggest licks he would keep his back turned to the audience so you couldn't see what he was doing and you know the he he kind of led people to believe that's what he did whether he did or whether he didn't but uh you know who knows who knows what the saying is but it seems like look i play guitar and I have struggled for two years to even play a song you might even be able to recognize. This guy went off for six weeks and was blowing people away that were masters of the craft. Eh, it's kind of hard to believe. <laughs> Almost makes you wish there was more cameras back then so that you could at least kind of see like with modern day artists where they kind of have this different face that comes over their face and it almost seems like they're taken over by somebody or just to know back in the day it was way easier to do the whole sleight of hand trick it almost makes you wonder too if there could have theoretically been somebody behind a curtain sitting there playing all the complicated guitar parts and you just run like basic chords or something but i don't know a lot of weird stuff with it that will i feel we'll never really know for sure just because there's not really a way to uh you know make it so that we can really go back and tell until one day eventually hopefully time travel will be a thing but (laughs) maybe that's the secret Keith Richards said the first time that he heard Robert Johnson play on a record, he thought there was two people playing guitars and there was just him. That's it's, I don't even understand like half of what that dude was playing. And like I said, with the old recordings too, it just makes it like that much more difficult that imagine just like how crazy his music would be and how complicated it would be if it was recorded on modern day recording equipment where people could actually break it apart and try to learn every single piece and component to it. Cause oh, yeah. I feel like most people covering it, they're just trying to piece together at least what they can piece together, but they're still, I'm sure missing some little, little intricate riffs that he has mixed in, mixed into it. But uh, I guess kind of changing the pace up a little bit here. Um, I definitely a little bit farther in want to get into uh, some of your personal stories, but uh, at least from the collection that you've done, um, I guess what would be some of the most fascinating paranormal stories that you've collected for famous people and most fascinating paranormal stories you've collected for uh, people sending them into you? Wow. That's a good one because we do a listener stories episode, the first of every month. And then we have four or five stories on there. And we've been doing it for five years now for our, our Patreon subscribers. So I've got tons of those. Let's, let's discuss one of those first. This is actually something that at at one point in time, this was a couple of years ago, I thought we were going to actually film a documentary on this. And I really haven't discussed it uh, a whole lot on the show. And to be honest, I can't remember if I even actually played what I had. But 
it was Halloween three years ago. And I had a friend of mine up in Louisville said, Hey, I want you to come on for a Halloween show. Now he's a, he's a stand-up comedian, but he's also a paranormal investigator. And I said, okay. So there was about six of us on. And he said, I've got somebody that's trying to get connected. He's at a place where there's bad internet, but I really want you to hear this guy. So this guy comes on and he starts talking about, he lives up in Indiana and there was something infesting his house. Okay. He's got all this different camera footage, some of it from cell phone, some of it from, uh, I guess you could say just regular pictures from like Polaroid. And it's crazy that he, you could see these pictures that kind of had these images on them. And he said that he would see, uh, he would see like a, he could look at a picture on the wall and it would morph into stuff. And he would take pictures and these pictures kind of showed that. And that was the and he's, he's showing them to us. And I'm like, this is very odd. Well, I, I talked to the guy for probably a half hour, listened to his story. And I said, you know what? I said, uh, contact me after we get through. He contacts me. We set up a time for me to come out to his house and interview them personally. And I've never been to anybody's house in at this time, four, four years and change of, of ever doing this show, you know, and he, especially somebody that's literally three hours away from us. And he was very concerned. He said that he had a, a, a seven-year-old daughter that he had had to send off to live with his ex-wife in another state because he was scared for her health. And like I said, you could tell that it was not an act. He was genuinely scared. He just wanted help. He didn't, he was like, it doesn't matter what it costs. I just want help. Obviously I told him, you know, that's not what we're in. We, we're not charging you anything to come out there. And so I got in touch with some friends of mine that were paranormal investigators. And, um, I, they also are documentarians and I'm like, you know, why don't you come out and bring your equipment? And if he's cool with it, which I ran it by and he was, we can document all this. And this might be something that we can, you know, actually make into uh, a, a little, you know, documentary that people might like. I contacted Bishop James Long, if you're familiar with, with Bishop Long, mm -hmm. you know, he's, he's into, he's an exorcist. That's what he does. And this gentleman felt like that his fiance was possessed at times by whatever entity this was in the house. We uh, hook him up with James Long. He hooks him up initially with a, uh, a somebody to do a psychiatric test to make sure that, you know, it's not something more going on other than a haunting that came back fine. So I told Bishop long, well, we're going to go out to the house. We're going to record, get his story. We're going to film. And, uh, and then, then we'll get you involved in the next step. <coughs> Excuse me. We go out to the house and this was a unique house to say the least. First of all, it was a uh, double wide mobile home. In the kitchen area, the window was busted and there were plants from outside growing up through the house. 
we go into a bedroom. I've, I set everything up in a in a kitchen area, right? So I set our our recording equipment up. I had brand new equipment that we'd been using for two weeks on the show, no problems. I get there, hook it all up, and you know it's not hard to hook up recording equipment. The microphone plugs in at one spot. You plug it into the wall. You're good. It's not complicated. I couldn't get it to work right. You know, she, we had three microphones hooked up. One mic would not record at all. The other mic was so far down on sound levels, no matter how we adjusted it. And, and then there was so much static and all this stuff. It was just the, I couldn't even use the recording when we got through. It was so bad. And I messed with it and messed with it for 30 minutes. You know, once we couldn't get it to go, um, the paranormal investigators are there. They go in and they, uh, are, are doing some, um, some EVP recording, stuff like that. They don't really hear anything. They just got some funny feelings. They didn't hear anything. They were picking up some, some stuff on the, uh, uh, rim pod and stuff like that. But we get ready to leave and, and they're like, you know what? Um, the only thing that we're getting is we keep getting one name and I can't remember what the name was, but it wasn't the name of anybody there. And they said, but it kept coming through when they were using the uh, uh, spirit box. And the one name that came up, though, they said, they said that whoever the spirit was was obviously being quiet. <clears throat> and it turns out that they kept saying something like John. And then when they looked up, there was a Bible verse above the wall. That had that, that when you looked that Bible verse up, it basically was Jesus telling the demons to shut their mouth. So it's almost like they didn't see that, but it pointed out to them that maybe that's why the spirit was not actually communicating. So we all leave for the night. We feel like it's kind of a bust. I can't record anything. So I didn't get the interview I was hoping to get. They had absolutely nothing going other than uh, that little blip about the name that pointed something out. So they're like, you know, I honestly don't think there's anything going on here. Uh, I think we've wasted our time. Now, fast forward to about a week later, they're reviewing the evidence. They picked up three different EVPs, one of which was a class A that said Jesus as plain as day. Now, all of a sudden, they're like, hey, I think we might be onto something now. There's there's more here than we realized. And um, as we were waiting to go back out there, this guy started just had more and more things happening. And when it was all said and done, uh, he basically said he just didn't, he just wanted to just stop any kind of investigations because he thought it just made it worse. And that was kind of the end of it. So that's like the craziest thing that has ever been sent to us by an individual. And uh, like I said, I did have the initial conversation that I had uh, with him on that that um, Halloween special. I actually did have that, and I put that out for people to hear just how crazy the story was. And probably the second craziest story, I had a guy from uh, St. Louis, Missouri. He called to tell me that he was an atheist, and he didn't believe in any kind of paranormal stuff. But then he started having these, these uh, lights in the sky. And he had video of these lights. And it was almost like a super bright star. But it was during the daytime he'd show it. 
nighttime he had it and it was pretty easy to see and then he would tell me that this creature came down from one night out of him and he had video of him running i couldn't you couldn't make out anything coming down but you could see the light and then you could see him take off running and hear some sounds in the background but he swears that this was something out there now he had called me to tell me about this when i was in uh, gatlinburg one night and he's telling me how crazy the story is and i set it up and get all this video from him and uh, I, that probably got more interest because I put that out as a special episode. And that probably got more interest than anything we've ever put out. People were like, what happened to this guy? What happened? To I thought he was going to send more videos. You'd be able to check out or, and all this. And, and he just didn't. He just he decided he didn't want to follow through with it. But to this day, I'll get to that was like uh, I think two and a half years ago. And to this day, I still get people say, what happened to that guy in Missouri? I'm like, I don't know. He, he stopped responding to me. So I have no clue. You got but he it. was <laughs> well. He was convinced that these people were aliens, but they were. This was going to be the end of the world, and they had this plan, and and they come from out of the ground. They don't come from the sky. What we see was an illusion. You know, th there really wasn't something in the sky. It was just appeared to us to see something, and almost like a projected image. And uh, that everything that we've learned about aliens and stuff is completely wrong, and. Uh, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating episode. I need to actually put that back up because I know people would, uh, would like to, to hear that again. It's kind of, it's a, it's one of the craziest things that I've ever been involved with. I'll have to double back and uh, check that one out. Cause that definitely sounds like something that's right up my alley. Um, <clears throat> as far as like that kind of stuff goes, um, I've heard that theory before about like them coming out of the ground rather than coming from the sky. And I mean, that would be the, honestly, the ultimate cover though, is if you're able to project something into the sky, then you're totally, you got misdirection going on. And I mean, the reverse goes too that if you were something that came from the sky, you make it look like you're coming out of the ground and then they're looking in the complete opposite direction of where you're actually hiding at. And uh, I don't know if he, did he give you like a full description of like what these creatures looked like? Because if you talk about them coming from the ground, they almost kind of sound more like reptilian like than anything. Cause you hear about all the stories of them connecting with hollow earth. He did, but I'm going to be honest with you. I can't remember what he said. Cause dude, when you hear this, he was, he 100% believed everything he was saying. There's no doubt about it. And, uh, he was a little bit in a panic talking about some of this stuff. Did, uh, d at least from like, from your perspective of him, did he seem like he was like exaggerating or did you like fully believe everything that he was saying? Well, I believe he believed everything he was saying, <laughs> uh, I don't, I'm not saying that it, none of the, I'm not saying that it was inaccurate in any way, shape or form, but he, he 100% believed everything he was saying. There's no doubt about that. I'm not sure I was a hundred percent on board, but those lights he were talking about was in there, was there, he were convinced they were following him. And, uh, like I said, there's video in the daytime of that light being there. There's video at nighttime of the light being there. And <clears throat> it was pretty bright. And, you know, sometimes you'll see the, the moon, you know, during the daytime, you could see that, but that wasn't what this was. So I don't know. There's something was going on. I just don't know what. I mean, part of it is you have to be a healthy skeptic too. So, I mean, at least coming from like your perspective, like that's kind of the way to go about it. Cause if you, if not, you know, your full on would end up believing every single story that somebody just tried to throw out in order to get like known off of it. But, uh, at least coming from like his perspective, once seeing, once you see that kind of stuff, I feel like it's kind of like undeniable. Mm -hmm. And even if it's, you know, something, something messing with him, um, I've even heard different theories about, uh, like essentially the government 
intentionally messing with people just to kind of see what they can do, see what they're able to like manipulate people into thinking. Um, I mean, it's definitely plausible. Even coming from that perspective, if people don't believe in the extraterrestrial idea of it, you can at least believe a you know the government trying to essentially see if they could do secret ops by testing it out on civilians. I mean, that'd be a good way of doing it. <laughs> well, he was he was very uh, adamant about he needed to let people know that what we knew was thought we knew was wrong because like, I remember when he first tried to contact me and he sent me a message. He's like, Hey, I got all this stuff, man. I think you need to be a part of it. And I, I had sent him a message a couple of days uh, and said, Hey, I, I'll get back with you. I've got, I'm fully booked up right now. Let me get back with you. And it was really frustrating to him that I didn't jump on what he was telling me. He's like, dude, I'm trying to show you something that nobody else knows and give you first crack at this. And you're putting me off. And I'm like, Dude, it's not that I'm putting you off, but I literally have, you know, 30 people a week telling me they got something they that I need to hear. And so, I mean, no offense, but you don't stand out amongst the rest of the people because I get this a lot, you know, <laughs> and, but he would get extremely frustrated by that. And, and even once I got the, uh, got it set up and would listen to him and talk about his story, he was like, I just can't believe you. You know, you know, I can tell you don't believe me. And, 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 you know, I'm trying to help people. And so, yeah, he was, he was definitely on board with, with what he was saying. No, no ifs, ands or, or buts. It's so like hard when you hear stuff like that, that there's two different complete perspectives to it. There's the one that the person is, you know, kind of creating like their own kind of reality within their head and they're just, you know, spitting out crazy things. And then the other perspective of it is that everything that they're trying to say is so literal that it sounds crazy. So it's like, it's hard to take it either way because it could potentially be either. <laughs> well, I'll share, I'll share one more with you on that route. I had a young lady and I, I, her name is escaping me. But I, I actually did three episodes in a row of just her on Mondays. Uh, but she, 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 up in Indiana also, so maybe it's just something with Indiana. So she believed that she had been abducted since she was a child. She uh, had like medium, she was a medium as well. But these aliens had had visited her her entire life from the time she was a little girl till now being an adult. She had to keep all of it kind of secret because her her parents were well known where they lived. And, and matter of fact, her her uh, brother actually played uh, college football in the area and played professional football for a while. So their name was kind of known in that area uh, once she told me who she really was. But man, she she talked about everything from the power of water within your body on, on how all that affected stuff. And I, I literally, now she was one that she again, believed everything that she was saying, but like, I think each one of these episodes was me, me just letting her basically talk with very few questions. And I think these episodes were about an hour and a half each. And we did three of them. One of them might've been closer to two hours. And she covered every gamut from hauntings to um, being uh, uh, having past lives to the UFO uh, contacting her to sending her back down to earth with a mission to her being able to um, 
get messages from God who would who would send her out to places to get this message to people that didn't know her. I mean, she had a lot going on. And I had people write me saying, this lady is 100% off her rocker. I had people saying, hey, I, I feel like I'm just like her. I need to get in contact with her and everything in between. But again, she believed everything she was hearing. So I want to start connecting people that don't know each other who have had similar experiences like that. Because even just from my show, I know a good handful of people who have had the same kind of experiences where they kind of try to bring back knowledge that the average person wouldn't know. So you got to start comparing them. But you mentioned something that she said, kind of like the extraterrestrial perspective of the paranormal. And uh, that definitely sparks my interest. I'm curious what she kind of said was the possible explanation of that. Well, and, and like I said, I don't remember all of it. Cause as a matter of fact, one of the times when she came on, I was, I was just getting over COVID and man, I can remember because luckily that was one of the good times where she did talk a lot and I didn't need to do much, but I literally would, I couldn't sit up at that time, but I would start it. I would say something and I had a, I have a futon in the room and I would just ask her a question, let her go. And then I would go lay down on the futon and listen and then get back up when I had to go lay down again. But yeah, I mean, that's, uh, those two, the gentleman from, uh, St. Louis and, and her from, from Indiana, man, uh, uh, you know, I said Indiana, Ohio, I'm sorry. I'm in Ohio, and, and, but those two were by far the two, um, the two personal experiences that people have sent into us that were just out of this world. No, no pun intended. <laughs> Speaking of out of this world. Just an observation that I've had. Everybody kind of relates like New Mexico, like that whole area with UFOs. And honestly, yes, you do see a lot of UFOs there. But as far as abductions go, like I'm from Michigan and it seems like there's a ridiculous amount of abductions that take place in Ohio, Illinois, Michigan. Like this whole area seems to be like the abduction capital. And I don't hear a lot of people surprisingly talking about it. But if you really like look between the lines, like... That's more often than not where 90% of abduction stories seem to come out of. <laughs> I think it's got to do with the Great Lakes. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, especially if it, like you were saying too, I've heard uh, she mentioned it about water being like an energy source. And even coming from that, I mean, if they're, if they're coming from somewhere, from another reality, from another dimension, another reality, whatever way we want to look at it, if water is essentially a fuel source and it has to be fresh water instead of salt water, like there's no other place in the world I feel like they would they would land at. That's ideally like the giant spot where that's more than enough and it's big enough bodies of water because they're essentially inland seas that they could even go down into like the middle of the water, collect whatever water they need from the water in order to have some type of energy and take off and not even be seen. Yeah, I'm I'm a hundred percent with with that. I th I think there's just something about, uh, you know, you hear a lot of stories. I just, I was watching, uh, was it the newest uh, uh, Unsolved Mysteries on uh, Netflix? And on the newest season, there was uh, the story about a case up in Michigan where the the guy worked for the meteorolo uh, meteorological society, and he actually was able to show the uh, the UFO on his radar on a Doppler where he could see how far up it was and how fast it was moving and all that. And all that took place basically right there uh, over Lake Michigan and inwards to uh, uh, Michigan a little bit. Say just for the sake yeah. of throwing an extra story into it too. Um, 
again, like I was saying, I'm a Michigander. I've had one UFO experience, and I'm kind of near Detroit area, so you know, somewhat near a body of water. And the one that I saw, there was, I believe it was five lights. There was multiple red lights. They were sitting in the sky when I was sitting in Myers parking lot. And then they all started moving sporadically around each other. And then they all went back to the key spot that they were at originally. And then they all took off in different directions. But I tried to like look around to see if there was any type of anything that could possibly be like projecting it. But like it, it was during the day. So that was the even weirder part about it. And the way in which they were flying like isn't anything that any known human ship is capable of doing, especially with the zero gravity changing directions and just flying off in different directions from each other and then able to kind of like hover in one area together too. It was super fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, like I said, I've never had a UFO encounter, but it's definitely something I believe in. Without, I don't I don't think there's even any doubt that there's UFOs out there all the time. Now you're starting to see it uh, become unclassified, so... Even just for like Declassified, the simplest explanation of it too, just being government ships that people don't want to believe in all the woo extraterrestrial stuff. I mean, just no, our government for sure has way more advanced technology than we even understand that they have. So even if you're just looking at the phenomenon from that perspective, like it, it's there, it's around us. There, there's a reason why everybody's coming out now and being like, oh, so if you have UFO stories, definitely let us know. Like we got it covered and this and that. And I mean, even looking at it from that perspective too, if the government's doing that, I mean, they could be looking at it from the extraterrestrial perspective. And they also could be looking at it from the perspective of what do other governments have that we don't have that we need to catch ourselves up on so that we're able to compete with these other countries. Oh, absolutely. So one of the things I could do, you, you asked me, um, the best celebrity story, uh, John E.L. Tenney one time told me a story that I thought was absolutely fascinating. He talked about, he went to a convention, and I don't have all the details straight, but I want to say it was up in Michigan maybe, but he went to a, uh, a convention, and as they got there, they got snowed in, and his car got damaged, and he had to send it off uh, while, he, while he was at the convention. He sent it off to get fixed you know, at a, at a local place. And uh, so he was at the, the hotel. That's what the convention was. And uh, he does whatever he needs to do. Well, at the end of the night, he decides he wants to go out and get something to eat. And somebody says, well, hey, there's a restaurant over this way. Just gives him directions. And he goes to the restaurant and he eats. He has a great time. He comes back. And then uh, as he's getting ready to leave, he decides he wants to go back to the restaurant again. And uh, he had went, he didn't go completely the way that they told him to. He ended up going a different way. So when he tells them, hey, I was wanting to go to this restaurant, it's over by this set of woods and all that. They're like, uh, there's no restaurant over by that set of woods. There's nothing over there. So he says, no, I, I know I went there. So he goes back there after he gets his car, he goes back to the way he came and there was absolutely no restaurant where he went and ate that night. And he said, he's, he's tried for years to figure out where that restaurant is. Nobody has a clue about it. He's put it out to listeners, to his podcast that he used to have. And, and nobody's ever been able to, to show him where this restaurant is. So as far as he knows it, it never existed, but he knows he ate there. I was going to say, I've heard stories similar to that about like hotels and different other locations. And at least for me, I kind of relate them more to like a possible time slip if anything, or like, uh, mm -hmm. like two realities kind of converging and you kind of walk off of your dimension or timeline, however you want to look at it. 
So then, like, for the hotel one that I, in particular, they were talking about how it was, like, a really old, nice hotel that was established, been there a long time. Um, it was kind of, like, you know, grown into, it wasn't, like, a fresh new hotel. And when they tried to go back to it, it was just, like, the location didn't even exist. Like, there was another old building there that had been there forever, so it didn't make any any logical sense. Like, the only way that it would, would make sense is if you're looking at it from, like, an interdimensional or, like, a time slip perspective. That, super weird, though. Yeah, I've heard a story similar to that, uh, almost exactly what you said. It might be the same story. It was some couples in, uh, I think, Germany. Yep. Uh, but they were traveling across. They were traveling from one European country to the other, and they stopped on their way to where they were going, and they were going to stop on the way back, and it wasn't there. Yep, that was the exact story I was talking about. Yep. <laughs> and I think if I remember correctly, there was a situation where sometime in the middle of the night, there was like an air raid siren or something that went off, and it was like, they didn't know what the deal was, but it did lead them to believe that maybe it was in another part of time, you know. I say, and I don't remember the details exactly from the hotel itself, but I mean, if it was like an older hotel, then they could be looking at it like it was like a nostalgic thing, not realizing again that it was with the time that it was supposed to be in. <laughs> right, and that, and that's what it was. They thought it was just hey, everybody's dressed differently and all this, and it was very cool, but you know, it's just uh, it ended up being something completely different. Now, my question earlier was. Did you guys see any of the video footage? This was back when we were on the UFO topic. Um, it was Christmas Eve over uh, a nightclub in Las Vegas. And I think the club owner got a, a message. And they're like, dude, there's some weird lights above your club. And he went out. Now, they did have those big spotlights that move around, you know, up in the air mm -hmm. and kind of draw attention and what have you. But when you watch the video, because people were like, oh, it's debunked. It, it was this. When you look up, you can see the lights through the cloud, like something's just hovering over this club. And now and again, those spotlights will hit whatever is up there, like it'll go in its path, and you can see the light reflect off whatever is up there. And it, it was, it was, it was neat, but like just stayed right over this one club. I don't, I don't know if you guys saw any of it or heard heard about no, it happening missed, or anything. I missed that one. And say, I feel like I may have heard of that one. And at least for experiences when it comes to things like that, like, assumably, like, us as people, we're working on different types of cloaking devices. And with every piece of technology, there's always going to be glitches and bugs in it. And more often than not, I feel like when there's these experiences with these, like, bigger ships showing up above things, I almost wonder if it's, like, an issue where their, like, cloaking device temporarily isn't working. Because more often than not, too, in all those videos, they almost seem like they're, uh, like, they're there, and the reason why people question it so much is because they seem like they're, like, partly translucent. And, again, that may be their cloaking device malfunctioning because their cloaking device could be something as simple as it just shows the sky that's above the ship. So if you're looking at it from an above view, you would see the ship, but from a below view, it looks like it's just the sky above. Or, depending on how advanced it is, it could be the reverse of that, too, where, you know, you're looking at it from below and you're seeing just a projected image of the sky above. And then if you're looking at it from above, you're seeing a projected image of the sky below, where essentially this thing makes itself invisible by just reflecting the images back in two different directions, you know? So, just a weird thing to kind of think about. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It was just, we were on the uh, UFO topic and I was like, oh, I want to bring that up to see if any of you guys saw it, you know, but, you know, it didn't hit mainstream media very well. I don't know why. So that's and it's, and it's happening so much that that it's like, oh, I didn't hear about it. And it's like, but at the mm -hmm. same time, you know, 10 to 10, 20 years ago, that would have been like headline news everywhere. But now it's like it happens 
so much between the the stuff that the military caught on camera and all that. It's like, ah, we've seen it. Yeah, we all, we all knew it existed anyway. Now it's no big deal. I think yeah. it's just a matter of yeah. people just having cameras and everything like that now. Like, I'm sure everything was happening just as frequently back in the day. But the thing was, people weren't recording it. And if they didn't record it, of course, they weren't telling people the story because they didn't want people to think they were crazy. Where now anybody can pull out their phone, they can record stuff. And then now they don't just have a story, but they have some type of like physical evidence. And yes, everybody's going to tear it apart, but at least it's something substantial. So, I mean, I think that's, that's the matter of what it is, is just technology's making it so that it's something that can't be hidden as easily anymore. So in turn you know, governments just kind of have to play ball with it because they know that if they don't, then they're going to get questioned on why they're not entertaining the idea, you know, as it being a possible risk. Right. Yeah. It is what it is, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's one of those things that we'll never fully know. And even if we do know when the government comes out and says that it's all them, like there's still going to be doubt within people's minds because looking at the the UFO phenomenon, you're looking at it from other worlds, things coming from other worlds, things coming from other dimensions, things coming potentially out of hollow earth slash the ocean and, you know, government projections that aren't even actual ships and government ships. So it's like, there's so many different factors that could all incorporate into it that even if somebody said that one was the set answer to all of them, like there's still going to be question amongst all the other weird little tweaks and phenomenon that happen with all within the UFO phenomenon. <laughs> I 100% agree. But say hopping on to the next part of this. Whoops, sorry, Ghost. Go ahead. I'm just going to say, yeah, you're you're completely right. We're never going to know. And even if they do tell us everything, uh, we're still going to be like, yeah, okay, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) You've been lying to us for how long? Like, you're really going to start telling us the truth now? (laughs) I would just now found out about JFK, uh, the CIA being involved in JFK. So. How long ago was that? Yep. Everybody was a conspiracy theorist for saying that for the last how many years? It's just a matter of time. They wait for enough time to pass, and then they figure that all of the diehard people that were into conspiracy are all gone by then or older, retired, whatever, and then the blame doesn't fall on them. So it's like even pertaining to the conspiracy theories that are happening now, give it 60, 70 years, and they'll be dropping the documents right in your lap, and everybody's going to be like, yeah, whatever. That was 70 years ago. Who cares? (laughs) Yeah, who cares? But... Uh, like I was saying, hopping on to the next part, um, I definitely wanted to uh, touch some of your stories because you said that you've had some uh, paranormal encounters, some possible other encounters. And at least for, for most people, I feel like that's partly what inspires them to be so gung-ho about their podcast. And I'm assuming that considering how gung-ho you are about your podcast, you probably have some awesome experiences aside from kind of the listener experience, partly your experience that you were sharing earlier. Yeah, I, I grew up in a haunted house. I said grew up. It was literally from about age 13 to about 18. Uh, we, we had a lot of ex, uh, paranormal activity happening in the house that we were living in. So I, I got to experience a lot then. That's definitely what kicked off my interest. Matter of fact, my senior year of high school, we had to do a, a final report for English class. And I did it on on uh, Satan worshiping. So I guess that tells you where, <laughs> where my mind was back at 18 years old. But no, it was, um, I'll tell you how it all started. And then I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you a really good story. My best paranormal story involving, involving myself, which happened years later. Um, so we move into this house. I'm about 13 years old and my mom had just had a death in her family. It was her, her, her grandfather, my great grandfather. 
And he literally was everything to her. He, he, her dad was gone at the time. She was an early age. Her uh, mother wasn't always at home. She had a bit of a drinking problem, but her grandparents raised her and uh, they were in a sense, her parents. So when her grandfather passed away, she fell into a deep state of depression. This only got compounded four months later when her grandmother then passed away. So she lost both of them within four months. We're sitting at the house. She's in this deep state, state of depression. As I said, my mom was always a real happy go lucky person. And this point in time, she was a shell of herself and couldn't drag herself out of, out of bed. Didn't want to eat. Didn't want to do anything. Lost a bunch of weight. And you know, this was back in the uh, early eighties and depression wasn't looked at by the same way back then, you know, hell nobody even knew really what depression was, you know, you, you just needed to, you know, get up and get off the couch and, and get over it. I mean, that was how depression was handled back in the early eighties. And, uh, you know, so I didn't realize until literally the years later that that's what she was going through. And, you know, she's on the prayer line of the 700 club in the living room. It's just myself and her in the living room. We're sitting next to each other. She's on a couch. I'm on a chair uh, on one end of the room. On the other end of the room is a big console television that weighed about approximately 3,000 pounds. So if you ever tried to move one of those things. On top of the television, there was this little pin cushion uh, chair. And I say that it's like literally a foot tall but it was made like a chair and it was designed to hold uh, sewing equipment, you know, like the thread and the needles and all that. So the top would, you know, the little top where the seat was lifted up and you put that stuff in it and the rest of it was a pin cushion. It was sitting on, on here and on top of the uh, television, there was a bottle of Elmer's glue on it. I can remember it to this day. I mean, this was like 40 years ago. It was a bottle of Elmer's glue on it, and there was three metal house numbers because we had just painted the outside of our house, and we took the numbers off uh, the house numbers and hadn't put them back on yet. So I'm telling you this because that thing was kind of weighted down a little bit. As she's on this prayer line, and I'm sitting sketching in a sketch pad, this thing pops, this chair pops up in the air about two feet and lands in the middle of the floor not right next to the television. It didn't fall over and fall off. It went up in the air and laid it in the middle of the floor. Everything that was in there scattered. We looked at each other as if to say, did you see that? Because I know I saw it. And we both gave that look that, yeah, we both saw that. And she hangs up with the prayer line, tells them she's got to go. And we just, went about our business. We picked the stuff up out of the floor, but we, we were real quiet because we knew we just experienced something, but we didn't really know how to process it. I don't think. So I go to bed a little while later. She comes into the bedroom, wakes me up and she says, Hey, I need you to come in the living room because I'm hearing stuff up in the attic. Now, first of all, you got to know my mom was not one of these people that was easily scared. She believed in ghosts. She believed in witches. She had experienced all this stuff growing up in, uh, you know, uh, in the early days of Eastern Kentucky. So she knew all about Appalachian witches and stuff like that. So that was not something she was scared of. Well, she was scared of whatever she heard in this attic. I asked her what she heard. She said something moving around up there, like something was scooting. Now our attic 
is used for some storage, but there's not a lot of room. You can't walk around up there. It's not like the attic on Christmas vacation where Chevy Chase can sit and watch movies and stuff, which how the hell did he have electricity up there to run that projector? That's what Anyways. I was going to say too. And then he ends up falling through the ceiling. <laughs> you sit right. up there for hours and then he falls through. <laughs> but, you know, the, you got enough room to basically walk your body halfway up and lay a box to the left or the right. That's how much room you got. There's no plywood up there to walk around. You just got the metal uh, beams or uh, uh, rafters of the house. So, you know, if you lay a box up there, you just got to lay it across two rafters because there's no floor. So there's nothing that could be moving around up there. We didn't have anything up there except for like boxes of Christmas stuff. You know what I mean? There's nothing moving, no furniture. Well, I, uh, she calls me into the living room, tells me about all this. I set up with her for about 15 minutes or so. Nothing. I heard nothing. So I go back to bed. Next night, she wakes me up again. Same situation. So we go into the living room, and I wouldn't enter 30 seconds, and you could hear something moving. And to give you an example of what this sounds like, if you've ever heard somebody try to move like a wooden dresser across a wooden floor, you get that squeaky, scooting sound that is unmistakably wood on wood. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unlike a, a, a male porn movie, it's a different kind of wood on wood, but <laughs> I could hear that. And I know that there's absolutely nothing up in that attic that could be making that noise. And I sure as hell wouldn't go check it out. I'm not liking the movies. No, it's we'll figure it out the next day. And next day I go up there and, and, poke my head around. There's nothing up there that could have been making that noise. I have no clue what it was, but that was something that would continuously happen. Not every night, but uh, once or twice a week for the next five years, we would get that. Uh, we started to hear a baby cry. There was no infants in our house. Our, our, my youngest sister was probably nine, I'd say. I mean, so we had no infants in the house, but we would hear a baby cry. Uh, we would hear uh, the dog we had would always run to certain parts of the house and just look up and you know, just stare and stare for no reason whatsoever. So we would have that happening. Um, lights would flicker off and on straight shadows that we couldn't figure out. I can remember one time there was a, our house was almost made like a circle. So you walked in the front door and you had the living room, but then you would walk into a bedroom. That door led to another bedroom. Then that led to uh, a, a utility room. And then, so everything made like a circle. If you, if you can get that. So like you couldn't get to my room without going through my sister's room or without going through the utility room. So it was kind of blocked off. That's just the way the house was made. And uh, I used to, you know, keep that door open a lot of time between my sister's room and I, unless uh, it was bedtime, that'd be going to my closet. So during the day it was open and right outside my window was uh, uh, right outside my window was the pool swimming pool. And everybody was out at the pool one day except me. I was in there watching Atlanta Braves game. I was a big Braves fan back then. And I decided to walk outside to just chat with the family for a little bit. It was in between innings or something. And as I go to walk from my bedroom to her bedroom, there were a couple of stuffed animals in the floor. Well, no big deal. I picked them up. There was a toy box sitting over there. I put them in the toy box. I go outside. I'm out there five minutes. Nobody's been in the house since I left. I come back in and those toys are right back in the floor again. So I shut that door and I ended up that console TV that I was telling you about that was in the living room, that 3,000 pound console TV. It's now in my room. That's my TV because they got a new one. 
And I put that in front of that door and that door was never opened again at the time that I lived there, which was like another five or six years. That door was never opened again. Now within my room, I could hear whispering voices coming through the ductwork. We had a, a, in our house, the ductwork was kind of all seen. It wasn't covered up by a drop ceiling or anything. So it ran along the wall and uh, was painted the same color as the wall and all that. But I could hear three distinct voices, two male, one female coming through the ductwork. I could never understand what was being said, but I could tell the tones. It was either a com conversation or sometimes it would be like two or three irritated people, maybe arguing. So it was either a soft whisper or a loud whisper, but it was always two male, one female. And it got to, got to the point with me to where I went out and worked as a babysitter to the people across the street and cutting grass in a neighborhood and used that money to go buy a stereo at Kmart and put it right next to my bed. I had a waterbed at the time, a super single waterbed. And this thing literally was right, right next to the bed. It wasn't a shelf stereo. It was one of those that stood up with the tall speakers and the rack. And I literally just had to roll over and turn it on and off. And I did that for the convenience of whenever I heard something in that room that spooked me out, I turned the radio up. I can honestly say I never felt like anything that happened in that house was something that was um, evil or anything like that. With the exception. One day I was a freshman in high school. It was a day of a huge football game. I was, I went to a school called St. X my freshman year and St. X and Trinity in, uh, in Louisville, Kentucky are huge rivals. One of the biggest rivalries in the United States football wise play fifth game of every year. And both when they played, they had to play at U of L's football stadium because they'd always get 35,000 people to come out there and watch. And you know, that high school football is not that big in Louisville back then, but when that game came up, 35,000 people wanted to see it. And I was excited. It was my first one going to school. I'd been a fan for years and now I'm at the school. I was excited that morning. Weather's going to be great. I wake up extra early because you know how it is when you're excited. Sometimes you just can't sleep. I'm ready to get my day started. It's probably an hour before I need to get up to get ready for school. I start hearing something as I lay in the bed right behind me to the left is a window. I could reach out and touch it. It's that close, but it's on the same wall that my head's at. I start hearing something on the window tap. A couple seconds later, tap. Now, it sounds like a light tap. It doesn't sound like a knock. It's a tap, but I don't know what could be out there tapping. And I'm trying to think like, you know how window blinds have those strings with the little ends on them. It almost sounds like that. And I was like, well, maybe something's out there. There's something out there tied to the window. I don't know. The wind's blowing it. I'm trying to make logic of it, right? So I go to old trusty, turn on the radio. Tapping keeps coming. But then I start hearing what I can only describe as a sick cow. I hear something go, Ooh. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell that is. It sounds like a moo, but it doesn't sound like a cow that I know of. And I start going in my head about, we, we were not a rural, we were in a suburb and it wasn't exactly rural by any means, but 
there were people who had livestock in our neighborhood, you know, and I'm thinking, hey, this guy down the road, I think he's got a donkey, I think, but don't sound like a donkey. And I'm, I'm trying to rationalize it. Here comes this thing again. And by this time, I'm a little bit freaked out. Not going to lie to you. But then it got quicker and quicker. It turned into, ooh, ooh, ooh. and then something smacked my window so hard. It's as if I took the bottom of a fist and just pounded it. I've never been that scared in my life. Not before, not since. And I jumped out of bed. I ran into the living room. I sat in the recliner till it was daylight outside. I went back in my room. I got dressed. I walked outside and there was absolutely nothing out there. Nothing tied to the window. Nothing that could have made the tapping noise. There was no wind whatsoever. No rain. Nothing. I have no clue to this day what that was, what it could have been. Nothing. Not a clue. But that's the scaredest I've ever been. I'm thinking Sasquatch. It's Cowman. <laughs> and you know, it's funny that you say that. I've never once, not once in my life, ever thought it might have been something like a Sasquatch. But I mean, because we didn't live in an area where it was wooded or anything where you would expect to see one. But I mean, who the hell knows? I mean, they do Kentucky migrate. has a lot of sightings. Yeah, I was going to say they do migrate too. So I'm sure that when they're migrating, there are times that they go through more populated areas temporarily, you know, just passing through because they don't really have another option. I mean, I guess it's possible. It's something I never thought about, but huh, interesting. And especially with the the cow noise, where it wasn't quite a cow, it sounds very Sasquatch esque with their uh, their mimic thing, where it's like they yeah. sound close to something, but they're not quite there, and you can tell that it's not that. So maybe it heard your neighbor's cow down the street was mimicking the noise as it was passing through, trying to play that incognito game or something. That's interesting. Now, enough. I'll have to add that to me. I'll be thinking about that all night now. Watch. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> was your was your bedroom on a second floor or first floor? No, everything was first floor. We only had one floor. First floor. Yeah, because you hear a lot of reports of them hearing in windows, uh, being curious, uh, like if the, people have TVs on or radios on, uh, it, tapping on 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 windows, and then I don't know. It, to me, it sounded like he got pissed off and was just like, Ugh. and then you didn't pay him no mind. And he, 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 he or she ran and left. It's like uh, the kids at the zoo when the animals won't do something and they get irritated. So they start hitting on yeah. the glass, trying to get them to do something and then right. they get angry because they won't do anything. <laughs> Houses yeah. and windows are just the Sasquatch equivalent of going to the zoo. <laughs> yeah. You never know. You never know. All right, I told you I was going to share my best paranormal story. I have one question before you do that. Yes. Do you have a ceiling fan on? No. Do you have Do you have uh, hot air for for heat? No. Like when you No. Okay, that decoration behind you uh over your right shoulder when you started mm -hmm. telling your paranormal uh experience it started moving. It was all sitting there doing twirlies, and now it has completely stopped. Are you talking about the uh, the curtain back there that says "open" on it, or no? The hands, your uh, your other shoulder. Right oh, okay, okay. No, no that that very well could uh, that very well could be. Uh, there's a heating duct over there, so that it could have been the furnace came on. 
So that okay. one would make sense. That would that that's literally right over top of the furnace duct. Okay, that makes sense then. Because when you start uh, telling yeah. it, I'm like, man, that hasn't moved the whole time, and all of a sudden it's sitting here doing twirly twirls, and then you stop telling the story, and it stops, and I'm just like, no, all I, right, I got to ask a question. I, well, see, I've got a, I've got two space heaters in the room that I don't use very often. I make sure they're off, and I thought that's what you were talking about. But yeah, the actual central the central heat is probably on. So. That's my guess. That's probably what happened. That, that makes more sense then. All right. Well, we debunked that one. Say, Ghost talking about his uh, paranormal experiences. He's always the one that's always catching stuff moving in the background. And for good reason, because he's had a few different shows where he'd be talking about shadow people. And one in particular he was telling me about, there was like an arm that he saw come into the room. So, yeah, he's always looking out in the background. <laughs> yeah. Fuck no, your life! Really cool. Bing bong! So, sorry, I didn't mean to hit the button. <laughs> kind of fit, though. <laughs> you no, know, I get a lot of weird weird depending on the topic or or who who the guest is um i've had some very odd uh experiences while recording you know certain things my one good buddy you know he'll every now and again be like oh, anything weird going on over there i'm like dude i have weird shit that has gone on my whole <laughs> life that i 90 of it i just chalk up as okay it's just my bizarre life you know what i mean like you know, it's not always creepy, but just weird things happen. And I was recording with uh, One Thumb L from Speed Bumps, and I was actually a guest on her show. And I asked her, I said, hey, are you doing anything paranormal or spooky for October? And she's like, no, I don't really get into that. And da 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 da. Well, then all of a sudden, her with about five, ten minutes later, her, her camera starts glitching out in this one area, making like a shape over her, her shoulder. And it would fade in, fade out. Never happened since, never happened before, just that recording. That's funny. We had a we had a, a couple of listeners. It was a mom daughter that uh, they both was experiencing weird stuff. And uh, the daughter, it was her house where she had a lot of problems. And we tried to record twice. And one time she couldn't get internet reception, which she didn't understand why. The other time it kept dropping the call. And she eventually went to her mother's house and they sat in a driveway and did it. And it went through fine. She was convinced that the spirit in her house was not going to allow her to tell that story. Yeah. Hey, they, they have a funny way of uh, getting what they want sometimes, <laughs> especially if it's connected through technology and electricity. It's like, that's their bread and butter. So of course, like they're going to do any opportunity right. they can to mess with that. Cause that's just straight energy for them to bend and contort and use as they, they see fit. <laughs> All right. But are you ready for this story? Because this one's going to blow your mind. Yeah, I was going to say, this one's going to be a hard one to top after that last story. So I'm definitely interested in what this one's about to be. <laughs> All right. I, I will say this. Obviously, I told you that I grew up in a haunted house. So I, I have no doubt in the afterlife. Well, let me say this before I get into it. After getting into what we do in our stories, I'm convinced that that was not a haunting. I think that was poltergeist activity that my mother was probably creating without knowing it just because of the fact that she was going through the depression. She was the, the things that were happening in the house were poltergeist type things. And uh, I think with the fact that uh, it was either something was coming in there feeding on her negative energy or because she was so far depressed that those might be things she was causing telepathically without knowing it, that that's the perfect poltergeist situation. Uh, so that's the one thing I'll say about that. I'm I'm more convinced it's poltergeist situations she caused than a haunting after learning so much about the paranormal over the years. 
But go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that uh, from a lot of interviews that I've had with uh, psychic-minded, medium-type people, they often refer to experiences like that being that something that's more of like a small potatoes type of entity will kind of come in and kind of get a feel for what the energy is, and then bigger stuff comes in. So that might kind of explain why it kind of started off light, and then you went up to that moving up in the attic was as she kind of fell farther into that uh, depression hole, you know, a bigger hierarchy of entities started coming in because, you know, there's the little ones that get the feelers out and then the big dogs start coming in. But it appears hopefully that, you know, the big, big dogs didn't come in. It was mainly probably like the medium dogs, but (laughs) still just fascinating, fascinating concept though. And just off of that whole vampiric energy concept, um, I don't know, it just, it makes you, makes you wonder how much is stuff that, you know, kind of gets a feel for us and manifests from us and how much is stuff that we potentially might manifest and create because of being in those lower depressed states of mind. We're not talking about Tulupas, are we? Because I don't want to get into Tulupas. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So obviously I've always believed in the afterlife. We've discussed some of that. Uh, how could I not? But there's one thing when it's actually proven to you. And I know, and I'm not going to be able to convince you you were a ghost or anybody listening, but I know without a shadow of a doubt that there's an afterlife. And I'm going to tell you the story on, on how I know it. So there's going to be some background. This is kind of a lengthy story, so I hope we got time. Oh, yeah, we got um, enough time. <laughs> I got to tell you some background for the story to make sense to you. So... My mother died at a very early age. She was 54 years old and uh, it was unexpected when she died. With that being said, for several years uh, before that, um, are you seeing that thing back here? Just kick on. Yeah, I think so. I can't, I can't hear it because the headphones, but I'm sure it did. Yeah, I was going to say, but it's funny that it happened again. (laughs) It's funny that it happened again when you're starting to to tell. Yeah, it's on. Okay. So uh, again, we've debunked it. <laughs> All of us Sorry. are sitting over Sorry. here paranoid. <laughs> I just saw it going, and I'm like, <laughs> trying to. So for so for anybody listening, that think we're just trying to get ratings. That's not the case, or we would have just flowed with that. <laughs> so, all right. So we're, we're going to go back. Uh, my mother and I had kind of a tumultuous relationship, uh, probably the last ten years of her life. Uh, we just didn't get along that well. Uh, it was so much to the point there. If I came over to the house and, and she was in the back bedroom somewhere and my dad was in the living room, I would visit with my dad and leave and not even go back there and say hi or bye, or it would be a really quick, you know, stop back there to say hi. But I would spend 20 minutes talking to my dad and two minutes talking to my mom. And, uh, we, we would just, uh, and I see my cats made his way in here at some point. He's sitting beside me. Um, it was to the point to where if she called and I saw her name on the caller ID, I mean, first of all, every, I knew it was her because her name didn't show up. It was the only call that ever came into my cell phone that was listed as unknown. Everything else would say something else, but they had an unlisted number. So it came in as unknown. We're talking back in 2004, 2005. And, um, 
So a lot of times I wouldn't answer the call if I knew it was her because I knew she would just talk and talk and talk and talk. And it would be, my mom was all about talking about medicine. You'd think she was a doctor even she wouldn't. I mean, she was one of these people that if she had an illness, it was the worst illness there ever was. And she's on this kind of medicine. And the doctor said that's first time he's ever prescribed us. It was like always that kind of stuff. And my mom was always going to the hospital for something. I mean, always going to the hospital so much. So I didn't even go to the hospital because I knew it was nothing. This is my attitude. So I'm, I'm filling you in as to my way of thinking. Well, I had been a stand-up comedian for a little while now, about a year. Uh, my mom got to see me perform one time at a, at a comedy club in Louisville because that's where she lived. And uh, I was trying to make a name for myself. So I was going out and hitting all the nightclubs and the bars and stuff and saying, hey, I'll do a comedy show at your place for free. Just let me sell my own tickets. It won't cost you anything. You get free entertainment and I'll bring a crowd to you. And uh, people were receptive to that. I was the only person doing that. People would do it with music, but nobody was doing it with comedy. And uh, I, I sign up to do this little, and there's a, an extra part to this that I'll tell you in the end, if I don't forget, that I didn't realize till after the fact. But there was this little bar, little hole in the wall bar called uh, Red Eyes. And Perfect, perfect name for a bar when you think about it. So you walk into this place. It had one little small room, just big enough to put a bar and people walk around, about the size of an average living room, we'll say. And uh, then they had a step down and another room about that same size. And that's where they did karaoke and stuff like that. I'm doing a show in there with a buddy of mine. We're going to do it. And it's like three hours before, you know, ahead of time. But I'm there early because I got nothing else going on. I figure I'll just read over my notes, read over my act. And as I'm in the place, you know, my mother had passed away about six months earlier. The night before, I know I'm jumping over here, but I got to kind of tell you this place. Six months earlier, was, let's go back to the day, uh, the night before my mom passed away. I had a really big comedy show as part of a music and comedy show. I was the headliner for comedy and I was, was, the show was sold out. And about the time that it was time for me to leave, to go to the show, I get a call saying that my mom had been rushed to the hospital and um, not rushed to the hospital, but they thought she had a stroke. It's not the first time I'd heard that. So as we're going down to the show, I just got this gut feeling that something's different this time. And my mom and I used to have a connection. I talk a lot about this in my book. We had a connection where she'd always know when something was wrong with me. And I kind of know when something was really wrong with her. And I had that feeling this time. I tell my, my girlfriend at the time, I'm like, I probably need to bail on this comedy show. And she's like, you know, it's sold out. And you're one of the reasons it's sold out. It's, it's, it's kind of late to cancel. I'm like, I get that, but some things are more important. I call my dad. My dad said, look, go do what you need to do. We're going down to the hospital. We'll, we'll keep you abreast as to what's going on. So I go and, and they're dragging this thing out. And I'm telling the people there, I need to hurry up and get my act done so I can get out of here. And in between each act, I'm talking to my dad. And of course, they want me to wait as long as I can because I'm the headliner. They don't want me to go on early. They got like three hours worth of time to fill. Well, eventually my dad says, you know what? They're telling us everything's good. They're sending us home. Don't even worry about it. Okay, good. I feel better. I do my act. Went great. Um, 
I felt like Brett Favre actually with the night that his uh when he played on Monday Night Football after his dad died and he had like his best game ever. I literally had maybe my best set ever under those circumstances. And um the the next <laughs> there we go. The next morning I get a call telling me I need to rush to the hospital. And I'm like 45 minutes away from the hospital. And I did. And by 10 a.m. that morning, my mom had passed away. Obviously, you can probably guess that I was like wishing that I had been there that night before now and, and all this. But it was just absolutely, you know, out of my control. And and for the next six months, up until the time that I was just telling you about at, the, at that little bar, you know, I was I was grief stricken and guilt stricken because. I was thinking about every time I never picked up that phone, every time I came over to the house and didn't spend time with her because you don't think that you're going to lose your mom at 54 years old when there's nothing really wrong with her, but it happened. And so now let's fast forward back. We're at the comedy show at this bar. A set of bikers came in boyfriend, girlfriend, mid to late forties, Typical biker attire. The guy's dressed in all leather. He's got the leather jacket. He's got, you know, the, the blue jeans on. Lots of tattoos. Big burly beard. Heavy set guy. The woman's, she's got long hair. She's got the biker cap on. She's got the, the vest and tattoos and all that stuff. It, so, you know, not a negative uh, connotation. Just typical what you think of when you think bikers. And they walk in. I don't know them. They don't know me. They sure as hell don't know there's a show going on that night because there wouldn't no way of knowing it. Only people knew were the people we advertised to because the bar wasn't advertising it, you know. And uh, so as they're in there, I ask them, I said, are you guys staying for the show? And they're like, what show? And so I tell them, hey, there's a comedy show. And they're like, probably not. We uh, we were just stopping here on the, on the midst of going to two or three, four other places, you know, like people do, bar hopping. And uh, I'm like, okay. And then we talked for a little bit, you know, anytime somebody finds out you're a comedian, they want to start telling you jokes and telling you, Hey, you could use that one. And you know, it's just the way it is. And uh, so they're telling me some jokes and stuff. Well, after about 15 minutes, I go down in that other room. I'm the only person down there. And I sit at a table and I'm going over my, my set, you know, I'm trying to remember it. Some of the stuff was new as I'm in there. A few minutes later, they come down and sit not across from anybody on the other side of the room. I feel kind of awkward because I'm like, okay, they're in here. I probably, am I being rude by sitting over here, not talking to them today? Cause we're like literally an hour before the show starts still hour and a half. So they know they're not going to see a show because they know it doesn't start yet. And it, you know, but there were there, in fairness, there's no tables at the other, in that other room, there's no room for them. That's how small the place was. So these were the only tables to sit at. And, um, I decided to go over there and talk to him and we start making small talk again. And here's the good part. The gentleman in the midst of whatever I'm saying, and I don't remember what it was. He looks at me and says, Hey, your mom just wants you to know that everything's okay. Now he don't know anything about my mom passing. He don't know me. I don't know them. As I said earlier. So I'm assuming there's some kind of joke that I missed. And that's what he's saying. He's making a joke and I don't, I don't get it. So I did that little awkward, you know, oh yeah, yeah. You know, and then she reaches over, puts her hand on my hand and just as calm and collected as possible said, no, seriously, 
Your mom wants you to know that everything's okay. And I'm telling you, dude, I lost it. I just, I mean, I broke down. I, I almost break down every time I tell the story because that feeling just overcomes me again. And I just start telling them, I mean, you know, I, 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 I just feel so guilty and, you know, we didn't have the best relationship at her death and, and it, you know, it feels so bad. And, and I said, uh, you know, they told me, she told me something that not a lot of people knew that didn't know me personally said, she said, no, she knows this and she wants you to know that everything's fine. She also wants you to know that she knows that you were holding her hand when she took her last breath, which I was, I was sitting on the, on her bed, holding her hand. They had already unplugged the machines. So we were just waiting. Nobody knew that except for close relatives. And, you know, I, 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 I just went on to talk about guilt. She's like, trust me. She just thinks you should be doing better things than playing at places like this. These are people that at 30 minutes ago, didn't even know I was a damn comedian. There was a show there. <laughs> now they're telling me that my mom thinks that I should be playing at bigger places and, and doing bigger things. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't remember much else of what we even talked about. It didn't last long. And then they got up and left and I've never seen them again, you know, and all I can tell you is that proved to me that there's an afterlife and somehow, some way they, I don't know if them people showed up that night for that purpose. I don't know if they were just there and that happened while they were there. I have no idea. I've never seen them before, never seen them since. And I, I don't even know if they knew that that was going to happen, but they delivered a message that was 100% coming from my mom because they knew stuff that other people didn't know. And, you know, that to me was enough to prove that there was an afterlife. And I'm telling you guys, once you have that proof, you look at life completely different. You're not scared of death anymore because you, you know, there's, you know, you might not want to die because, you know, you don't want to have family members hurt by you not being there or, or financially what it might do to your family or stuff like that. But you're not scared because you know that there's life after death and it's been confirmed. You can believe all you want. That's different than having it proven to you. And that's what happened to me that day. You know, and then and I told you I would try to remember this part. My mom and I didn't go do very many things. One day when I was really young, 10, 11, 12 years old, back when you were able to, I used to go play bingo with her all the time. Now you got to be 18 and you can get into bingo parlors. But I used to go with her all the time to play bingo. So we were actually really close from the time that I was, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12. It's when I hit my teen years when there was a disconnect. And then when I got into my late 20s, early 30s, it just continued. Um, but my dad and my mom one time went with me, just us three, and we went to that little bar probably three or four years earlier, and we played pool. They had a one pool table, and we went into that bar and played pool, and I had forgotten all about that. And it just so happens that was the bar that these people came to me at. And, and I didn't make that connection until years later that we had went there and played pool. And that place is torn down. It doesn't exist anymore. But I just wonder if because that was a place that we had been at before, if that was why the connection was made there with those people. But I don't know. But that's that's my story.
very reminiscent of, and this, this all goes into if you believe in the Bible and what have you, but Sodom and Gomorrah, when God sent the angels in, they didn't appear to be like normal angels. And you have these two stereotypical bikers come in, you know, who would, at, at the end of any day, you would never think someone dressed like that, you know, you think rough, tough, you know, yada, yada, yada. They come over and don't know anything about you and give you a message almost as it, I'm not saying they were angels, but it, it, it has that vibe to it. You know, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's just mm-hmm. like he uses the most mysterious messengers in the most mysterious ways. That was the exact energy and vibe that I got from it, too, was that like <clears throat> I was trying to figure out how to word it. But even if you don't necessarily believe in angels, like I don't think that they were like people like we perceive them like even if they were just like some type of facade so that you know she could come in and give you like a message because assumably like on the other side there's there's probably still rules as to how things work and maybe one of them is that you can't fully manifest to somebody that you're familiar with because maybe it messes up part of the timeline if they have a connection with you but maybe there's some like loopholes in it where maybe you can have people that they don't know give a message to somebody or maybe you can change your form to pass on a message and it's a loophole because you're not directly communicating with them like as yourself. But yeah, definitely has like an otherworldly vibe to it. I know I told that story on Jim Harold's campfire and he actually listed it as angels on hogs. So he felt that way too. See, and that's like a, it's like a group thing too, that, I don't know. I feel yeah. like uh, when you have when you tell that story to multiple people and everybody comes to the same conclusion, um, it brings a different perspective in. But when everybody has the same view and perspective on it, I don't know. I kind of start gravitating more towards that method of thinking, at least. It gives it it's fun- validity. Mm-hmm. It's funny though because I've never thought about it as angels. I mean, I've just thought about it as as two people just had them be in there, and then maybe for a brief time they were, you know, they channeled something without even knowing it, and then. You know, who knows? I don't, you know, they, if that's the case, they could have left that night and not had any memory of what even took place for all I know. Yeah. They mm-hmm. might not even remember that even happening in general altogether. Like they could be looking at it from their perspective. Like they had some kind of missing time and they're looking at it. Like it could have been some type of like extraterrestrial phenomenon, not realizing that it may have been more of a paranormal otherworldly phenomenon. And then it makes you question again, that you hear about all of these issues with, uh, with time loss and it makes you wonder if, all those issues, not all of them, but some of those potential issues with time loss could be stuff from the other side, uh, temporarily using somebody to communicate with somebody on this side. It's possible. Because then you get, even expanding past that, you get into the uh, like 20 and back type of concepts where, you know, it may not even just be something paranormal, but there's these opportunities to be able to almost like erase memories from people. And be it that it's, you know, something extra worldly, paranormal, or something that's physical within this reality. Um, I don't know. Just just a weird perspective to look at at it. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's uh that's the best story that I've got. And uh, for me it was life changing. It would be life changing for me too. I, I I pulled the microphone away. I was like glued like a little kid to the TV when you were telling the story. And I was just like, man, what, what's going to happen next? You know what I mean? I mean, it, it's very tragic and rest in peace to your mom and, you know, sorry for your loss, but you did get something very beautiful out of it at the end in a roundabout way. You know what I mean? So it's, mm-hmm. 
I don't know. It, you, you got closure, but maybe it wasn't the closure that you, you really deeply wanted, but that's the only way it could have been given to you. You know what I mean? And you're also walking away without that a make- fear of death anymore, which is a set, like a huge mm-hmm. gift that somebody could give. Cause I mean, that's essentially the biggest fear that anybody has in life. And if you're able to get rid of that, possibly for somebody like if you're, if you're trying to give a gift to somebody from the other side that you love, like that would be the gift that you would give them, you know, is the hope and knowledge that there is something else and it doesn't just all come to an end at the end. Not bad. I agree. I came, I came out ahead that day. Uh, kind of gearing towards, uh, towards the end here. Um, cause see, we're running about hour and 40 minutes. That's usually about the average for, for all of our episodes. Um, I don't think you said it in the beginning. So for anybody that it's been fascinated by all of these stories that loves your storytelling abilities, and you definitely have a way of drawing people in, uh, why don't you let them know where they can come and find all of your awesome, awesome work at? Well, you can come to my house at 21. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Start getting random I packages. Always tell, <laughs> I, I always tell people that, you know, the easiest way is just go to, uh, you can Google hillbilly horror stories and you'll find everything you need to know. You'll find news appearances that we've been on. You'll, you'll find, uh, the website, but hillbilly You can find everything, uh, from the live shows that we're doing, which by the way, Sean, uh, Shane, I don't know why I said Sean, Shane, <laughs> and Sean too, if you're listening, Shane, we, we're going to be in Detroit for our uh, seventh year anniversary show on August nineteenth, uh, I think it is. So I expect to see you there. Oh, you know I'll but, be there. <laughs> but uh, no, we we um, you know the anywhere you listen to podcasts, just find hillbilly horror stories. Like I said, it's going to take you forever to get caught up. So, uh, you know, if you want the best way to do it, probably just start from the new and work your way back. You don't have to, the stories aren't connected. So you don't have to start from the beginning unless you just really are obsessed with bad sound quality and stuff from seven years ago. <laughs> uh, and that, you know, we got that, but you know, we, we do a lot of live events. We just got, did our first cruise back in September. We're doing another one in July of 2024. Uh, we had a hundred people show up to the last cruise and, if it hadn't been for vaccine mandates, we'd have had closer to 200. So that's what we're expecting on this next one. And uh, it, it'll be a blast. But we put all the information up there when we've got it. All the live events are at hillbillyhorrorstreet.com. And you can listen to the show there. So everything's there. So you guys have so much stuff that you do. It's beyond ridiculous, but in a good way, of course. And you have such a wide variety to it that I feel like people could be listening to you for years and still find something new and fascinating. And that's kind of where I'm at, is that I recently found out about you guys um, a little bit before CryptidCon, and then I kind of got to talk to you for a couple minutes at CryptidCon, but, you know, all the busy kind of stuff going on. But, uh, yeah, I've been trying to... I listen to all of your current stuff, and I'm trying to work my way back. And I've been working on it for two months now and I feel like I barely made a dent. So <laughs> if anybody loves the way you, that you tell stories, like they, ha- they have more than they can even fathom to be able to listen to. So, <laughs> well, we definitely, we definitely try to put a little something for everybody. Like I said, a lot of the episodes during the week are a little short, 10, 12, 15 minute episodes. And then, you know, we've interviewed some of the biggest names in the paranormal field from Andrea Perrin to Chad Lindbergh, uh, Amy Bruni, uh, Grant Wilson, you you name it, they've probably been on the show. My favorite was Father, uh, the bigger name that, uh, that most people know is Father Gary Thomas. 
He's the exorcist that the movie The Right with Anthony Hopkins was based on. He gave an awesome interview, Thrill to Death. I got to interview one of my musical idols, uh, Art Alexakis, the lead singer for Everclear. I got to interview him uh, a couple, about three, four months ago, right after he signed my guitar. Big, big ups. Um, love that. Uh, yeah, I got to, got to interview... Uh, you know, some, some big names out there that aren't just in the paranormal field. And and uh, I've been blessed to be able to, to do that. It's really cool. You left Zach Baggins off the list. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, I don't blame even you. If, <laughs> even if I, 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 I honestly, I would love to interview Zach, but I'm pretty sure the word would get out to him that I'm not his biggest fan. Uh, but I still love to interview him. He's still, he's still fascinating. He's a hell of an entertainer and he's a hell of a promoter. And I, I don't begrudge you, man. It's not a jealousy thing. The, my people that listen know that, uh, I said my people like a Moses or something, my people, <laughs> um, but, but our listeners know that I can't stand the way Zach, uh, pretty much goes in and instigates and, and, and just tries to, uh, I don't know, piss off every ghost and stuff. I, I don't like that's that's you you don't antagonize spirits to me. That's just the wrong way to do it. Yeah. You show respect. And he's never seen that's a mirror or a window. He does not like to look at himself. <laughs> no, this is true. So but that's Bro, that, you know, dude. I don't know anything about I don't know anything about Zach as a person. He could be the nicest guy on earth. Well, let me rephrase that. I've heard some stuff from people who know him pretty yeah. well. I don't believe that, but I've heard negative. I've heard positives. Uh, there's some people that I've talked to that say he's the greatest guy in the world that have a close relationship. And I've talked to people that uh, say that they wouldn't trust him as far as they could throw him. So, I mean, I'm sure it's somewhere in the middle and I don't have anything against him personally. I just don't like the way that he paranormal investigates. Yeah. I, I recently got into a cool show. Um, they just, Put out their newest season which was re really short probably because of the everything that was going on in the last couple of years but uh destination fear i don't know if you've ever watched mm -hmm. it or whatever yeah, but dakota yeah yeah i i really like that that show and the and the way they go into the investigations you know what i mean some of the teams blinded you know blind they don't know what they're getting into and you know it's just a really cool concept and you know i'm glad to see he's obviously out doing his own thing. You know, he did work with, with Zach for, for a little while mm -hmm. in, in his early career, but I just like the way that show is put together. And there's a few other ones too. Um, uh, they used to go, well, the, their team is called the Tennessee Wraith Chasers. Uh, yep. Different couple of shows, you have different names or whatever, but I, I really like how they go after things too. You know what I mean? They, they kind of keep yep. the, they don't go for the sh showmanship. You mentioned Destination Fear, and a couple of years ago, they were the first people. They ended their season by being the first group to come in and investigate the old hospital on College Hill in uh, Williamson, West Virginia. And that's actually where we held our six-year anniversary this past year. We actually did that from inside the hospital. So, yeah, really That's really a creepy cool hospital. To, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> I don't know if I'd have the kahunas to go in there, to be honest with you. Like, I don't know. It's a pretty cool place. A lot of stuff happens in the basement down there. So a lot mm -hmm. of stuff. It's almost, if you ever, if you were ever one of these people that had been like, Hey, I've been on investigations, but I really haven't seen anything. That would be the place to go because you're going to see stuff. Gotcha. That just maybe, makes maybe it, one day I'll work the courage up. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I, not, I've just been added to my bucket list now because <laughs> if there's a place where there's a guaranteed experience, like I don't care how scary it is. I definitely want to experience it. <laughs> 
Yeah, we've been lucky. I, I got to spend the night, the night in a Sally house. I have uh, spent the night in Waverly Hills. Uh, we went there. We spent the night at the Talbot Tavern uh, in Bardstown, which is extremely haunted. Jailer's Inn next to that same thing. So I've been lucky to spend a lot of time in some of these places that are that are up on the map for for being some of the most haunted. It's awesome. Saying just like most experiences, it all it all starts from starting a podcast. So it's awesome that you've built up what you have going on to what you have. And I see no stop, no sign of stopping in the foreseeable future. And it's just going to expand. You're going to get to experience even more awesome stuff as your show keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, man. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Yeah, and if you ever make your way to Pennsylvania, you know, let let me know at least. I'd I'd love to. Well, at least we we had tag along on it. We did a live event in Philadelphia a couple of years ago, and we had a live event set up in Gettysburg in 2020, and we all know what happened there. Yeah. <laughs> As the cat attacks the camera. <laughs> one beautiful pussy. <laughs> <laughs> at least at least he waited till the end of the show this time. So. <laughs> That's funny, but it's been an absolute, absolute pleasure to, uh, get to talk mm-hmm. to you today, man, and get to hear some of your stories. And, uh, I'm lo- really looking forward to the next time we get to come around and do this, be it on our own individual solo shows, or you coming back on this show, man. Like it's been great. And I really appreciate you making the time to do it, man. Awesome. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. Yes. It was very nice meeting you. I do apologize for my audio issues <laughs> in the beginning. Like I said, one of those days, you know, it's just been a, really bizarre week over here uh yeah it was really frustrating and i almost walked off the set two or three times but you know i'm a professional so i held it together and uh, and we got through it i did notice like myself i was pulling all my hair out you pulled all yours out as well so (laughs) yeah all right ladies and gentlemen thanks for tuning in to another fun and exciting episode of bizarre encounters with me ghost and the bigfoot hippie shane um, if you have an encounter that you would like to uh, to at least let us know or maybe be a guest, you can uh, email that to us at bizarreencounters@outlook.com, or you can hit us up on Bizarre Encounters on Instagram or Telegram and uh, shoot us a DM over that way. Uh, if you have a story that you want to tell and you're worried about the recording, you can record it, send us a voice thing. Shane has the uh, the equipment that he can alter your voice so nobody would know who you are, and we can change your name to keep you completely anonymous. Um, however, in this day and age, I don't think too many people care anymore. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about Bizarre Encounters here. So, <laughs> yeah, don't forget, hit us up at uh, Bizarre Encounters at Outlook.com and on our Instagram and Telegram. And if anybody else is interested in sponsoring the show, uh, they want to be just a guest on the show, if they're a type of researcher, author, anything fun like that, uh, there's a topic that you really want us to cover on one of the deep dive episodes, or you feel there's anything at all you can contribute to the show, also hit us up. Definitely, uh, you know, we want to hear from you. So you never know what, what we might be able to bounce back and forth off each other and, you know, do some cool stuff in the future, because that's how we met our current people that we collab with. So like I said, don't be afraid. Just shoot us a message, and uh, we'd love to coordinate the show a little bit and do exactly what you guys would like to hear and see. So with that, you can also uh, check out the link tree, uh, quick and easy access to everything that we've mentioned, including the email. Uh, the link for that is L-A-N-K-T-R period E-E slash Bizarre Encounters. And with that. Until next week, guys, kids, grandparents, whoever's listening to the show, make sure you keep it bizarre. Bizarre.